I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes this, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. They should be obedient and ready to do every good thing. They shouldn't speak disrespectfully about anyone, but they should be peaceful, kind, and show complete courtesy toward everyone. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires and various pleasures too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love appeared, he saved us because of his mercy, not because of the righteous things we had done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, since we have been made righteous by his grace, we can inherit the hope for eternal life. This saying is reliable, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have come to believe in God might give careful attention to doing good. These things are good and useful for everyone. Avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, and fights about the law because they are useless and worthless. After a first and second warning, have nothing more to do with a person who causes conflict because you know that someone like this is twisted and sinful, so they condemn themselves. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Good morning. It is so good to be with you all here this morning as we're continuing our sermon series where we are looking at some of the shortest books of the Bible. The shortest books, many of them are found in the New Testament, and they are the New Testament epistles or letters that we read where Paul and Peter and others, leaders in the church, wrote to communicate within different Christian communities to reinforce, to encourage, to teach, and as we shall see this morning in such a way, they also wrote to help organize the body of Christ. And so this morning, like I mentioned, we're going to be looking at Titus. Titus, if you look at it in the book of the Bible, it is arranged right around 1st and 2nd Timothy in the New Testament. And the reason for that is Titus, Timothy, and both, and both letters of Timothy are called the pastoral letters because it's believed that Paul wrote them in kind of a section where he was, he was being pastoral. He was teaching the church. He's examining the church. He's encouraging the church. And he's helping the church to, to get organized and to determine what it means to be a Christian community. And so Paul wrote all three of these letters. Although there are some scholars that believe that Paul didn't, but instead what Paul did is he used a scribe or a, a secretary, if you will, to transcribe and to write down this letter or these letters as he was orally um, communicating them to that scribe or to that secretary. And so basically what happens is they think Paul uh, you know, would, would focus on what he was trying to say and the content of the message, and then he had someone who was sitting there and they were writing things down Although that causes a problem, and that's probably where the problem is, where some people believe that Paul did not write these letters. Because there are a few linguistic and a few, um, you know, just the way that this person writes that are different from the letters that we know that Paul himself likely wrote in the New Testament. And so basically the message is Paul's, but it could be that the person that actually put the pen to the paper was not Paul for these letters. 
As the letter suggests, this letter was written to a man named Titus. We know a couple of things about Titus. Although like most individuals in the New Testament, we don't know enough. We surely would like to know more about him. There are a few things we know. He was a Greek and he was a Gentile. He came to Christianity under the ministry of Paul. Titus didn't just become a Christian, but he also became a traveling companion of Paul. And he traveled with Paul on many of his journeys. There are a couple of specific scriptures that we can read about Titus actually being there with Paul in ministry. One you can see on the screen. This is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this, Then after 14 years I went up to Jerusalem with Bar- again with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went there because of a revelation, and I laid out the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles for them, but I did it privately with the influential leaders to make sure that I wouldn't be working or that I hadn't worked for nothing. However, not even Titus, who was with me, who was Greek, was required to be circumcised. But false brothers and sisters who were brought in slipped in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, to make us slaves. So what's Paul saying to the Galatian church? He's telling them first that he went with Barnabas. We know from the scriptures in the book of Acts that Barnabas was a traveling companion with Paul until at some point the two of them split in their ministry. And we know that's because of John Mark who had, who had left Paul early in his ministry, wanted to come back. Barnabas said he should come back. Paul said, no, he already ditched us. And so they went their separate ways. But there's another thing we know from Galatians. Galatians reinforces to us that Titus was a Gentile because Paul specifically says that while there were those who wanted us to be circumcised, and when Paul says us, he means Titus because Paul was Jewish, but he's saying none of us were. And so Paul's using Titus to show us, and we see in the book of Acts, if you go back and read about the Jerusalem controversy and the council of Jerusalem and the determination where Paul met with Peter and with James, the brother of Jesus, we remember that because of Titus and because of others, the church was faced with a question and it was, what was where's our focus? Who are we to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to? Who did Jesus intend for, the gospel of, for his gospel to be shared with? And because of Paul and because of the successful ministry of Titus, what we see and what we know is that the church realized that their focus, that the focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ was to be for all people. And so it didn't require Titus to become Jewish first. It didn't require Titus to become a follower of Jesus Christ and then to be inducted or or made part of the Jewish community. But it's where God and where we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ was brought to and for all people. There's another scripture you can read about Titus, and, and I'm just going to reference it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, we read that, that Titus also journeyed to Corinth with Paul. And on that journey, actually Paul sent Titus to go ahead to take good news, to talk to the Corinthian church. And then Titus returned and actually brought Paul communication between the Corinthian church and, and message that he, messages that he had been given in order to deliver to Paul. Finally, from this letter, we know one more thing about Titus. 
We know that not only was he traveling companion of Paul, not only did he serve at times as a messenger for Paul, but according to this letter that we read today, Paul is writing Titus who's based on the island of Crete. Paul was heading to a community called Dalmatia and he had sent Titus to Crete in order to instruct, in order to guide, in order to be Paul's mouthpiece, a teacher for this church that was struggling, that was trying to get together, that was trying to figure out what it meant to be the church and what it meant to be a Christian community. And so Titus's purpose, if you read the first chapter of this letter, well, the first part was to set the church straight. He was setting them straight in terms of what it meant to be a follower of God, what it means to be a Christian, which really, if you think about our prior Sundays that we've, we've studied the shortest letters in the Bible, that's a very consistent thing with what we read in the letters, the epistles from the New Testament. Whether you're reading 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, whether you're reading 2nd Peter like we read last week, Often these, message, these letters are messages to help the church get organized, to help the church reinforce what it means to be a follower of God, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul sent Titus was for that very same purpose, was to help set them straight. And there is a second reason, and that was to determine the qualities that were needed for leadership in the Christian community. And so Paul's telling Titus in the first chapter, and you can go read it. It's, it's very, it, I mean, it's, it's good. We could do a whole sermon series on Titus. I'm going to be, um, and just what it means to be a follower of God and a leader in the church and, and how that can translate to our own lives. Because Paul tells Titus of what type of people that they need to have leading the church. He tells them what needs to be taught, what needs to be done. And then he says at the end, after the portion that we've read in, in Titus number chapter 3, where he says he's having Titus prepare for the arrival of another man named Artemis, who's being sent to Crete by Paul in order to take Paul, Titus's place so that Titus can, can meet Paul up in another community in Greece to help him with his ministry. So the portion of Scripture that, um, that I want to talk about this morning, though, is, is for us to think about what it means to be a follower of God and what it means for God to, to offer us his grace and everything else. I think the first thing we can look at is if you look in early Titus where Paul talks about what it means to be a leader in the church, I think we can set aside what it means to be a leader in the church and we can, set a, we can focus on what it means to be a follower of God in the church. Because as Paul tells Titus what, what kind of qualities leaders are to have, I think what he's also saying is he is outlining ways that you and I are to live as followers of Jesus Christ who profess a love of God and who, who desire to, to seek the change in our hearts and our lives that only Jesus can provide us. See, I think what Paul is saying is there's standards for what it means for each of us to be faithful followers of God. Just like there are standards for us to be leaders within the community of faith. I encourage you to go read them. Because I can't preach on all of them today. We'd be here through lunchtime. And I know y'all need to go to lunch. Um, I'm just kidding, so do I. But we could see how the early Christian church, one, ex expected things of their leadership that we should desire of our leaders today. But then I also think we can read of things where we see 
or Paul is speaking to us about what it means to be a follower of God and what it means to put God up here in front of everything else in our lives. Well, so our scripture reading this morning, we read from Titus chapter 3, and that's the second focus of Paul's letter to Titus. And I appreciate this letter because what Paul is saying in chapter 3 that we've read this morning is that the focus of God in sending Jesus and of how followers like you and I are to act in response to God's gift of Christ is what he says. So in verses 3, 1 through 8, Paul reminds Titus that the work of God in sending Jesus is because of God's kindness and God's generosity. It's because of God's kindness and generosity, which means that it's not dependent on anything that you or I could have done or could ever do. And so what Paul is saying and what Titus is receiving is a teaching that says this action is God's. And that God has done it knowing that you and I can ever do what we need to do in order to deserve it. And so I want to read just a a portion of the scripture where he says, um, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. They should be obedient and ready to do every good thing. They shouldn't speak disrespectfully about anyone. They should be peaceful, kind, and show complete courtesy. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires and various pleasures too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness, love and appeared, kindness and love appeared, so that's Jesus, he saved us because of his mercy, not because of righteous things we had done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ. And then he says, this is consistent with Romans. It's consistent with everything else that we read in the New Testament. He says, so since we have been made righteous by his grace, we can, eternal, we can inherit eternal life, um, a hope, the hope for eternal life. And so what's Paul saying? Well, first, he's saying exactly what he said in Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Ephesians. That the sending of Jesus is not dependent on what you have done or what I have done, but God has done it so that we can be made righteous by his grace. And that's the hope that we have in eternal life. And see, Paul's writing to, to Titus, who's in Crete. Crete, we know, is a Greek um, island. The people were Christians there, and, and they were probably attempting to compare or, or articulate the Christian message uh, to their family and to their friends that were not Christians. And so they were trying to figure out how they could communicate Christianity within the pantheon of the Greek mythology and all of the Greek gods that, that we know about through history and, and many of us are familiar with. And so they're trying, I'm sure, you know, look and say, here's who this Jesus is and trying to articulate how Jesus is similar to or how he fits into this story, into these myths, into these mythologies so that people would hear it and go, okay, that's how that makes sense. But see, Paul's trying to tell them something differently. Paul's trying to tell them the very gospel that you and I worship and we receive and and we follow because God didn't come within some faith structure. God sent Jesus because God is God. 
And so in Greek mythology, when, when the gods did something good for you or something good was done or, or happened, it, beca- it was because of what you did. Meaning the blessing, the goodness, whatever thing occurred was a response or a reaction to the action of an ordinary human. That also means that if something goes wrong, it's because you've done what? You've messed up and the gods are punishing you. And so can you hear where Paul's saying that Christianity is not at all like that? That the action of God on our behalf, the sending of Jesus, the sacrifice that God has made is exactly the opposite because God acted because he loved us. And so God offered his free kindness and his generosity through Jesus, not because of what we've done or because of what we can do, but God offered it as a gift of righteousness so that we are made righteous, not by our work, not by what we can do, but by his grace, as he says in 3 verse 7. This means that God doesn't need you to worship him, but he's glorified when you do. God doesn't need you to pray for Him to him. He doesn't need you to serve him or to study his word or anything else that we do God doesn't need us to do any of those things. So when you do them and when I do them, it's a gift that we offer. Not out of obligation. Not because it's a requirement. Not out of guilt. But it's a gift that we offer back to God. And so because of God's actions in Jesus... We are invited to examine ourselves, to think of the ways that following him has changed us so that our life, as we look back, we can see how we have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that, as Paul writes, we might be energetic in good works. See, friends, what Paul is saying is that God has done all of these things to free us to release us from the bond of sin, to release us from the things of this world and to allow us to work for or towards something that is better and greater and more worthy than anything else that we can create on our own. And so what he's saying is the things that we can give are our good works, are the things that we can offer to God in gratitude. For all that he has done for us. Not because we have to. Not out of guilt. Not out of obligation. Not out of anything else. But simply because we recognize the work that God has done for us. And we're grateful. And so our good works, Paul says, are not just living a moral life. It's not just obeying the law. But our good works are by worship and helping others, and giving aid, and being the church. Because if we're the church, and if we're followers of God, and if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, then everything will be evident. Everything else will come together. Because we will live as evidence as someone whose life has been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But folks, we've been made righteous by his grace. And it's because of his grace that we are able to inherit the hope for eternal life. Amen.